FYI, and I don't mean fake news, this podcast contains huge spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 306 of the podcast that goes snicked. Snicked. I'm your host, Jason Venable, and I'm joined once again by the Excalibros themselves, Dan and Georgie. Hey guys. Hello. And we are here for X-Men Black and some other stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh... Yeah, um, I don't think we've had it. I know we talked just briefly about this right before we got started, but um, some X news we haven't covered on the show yet is the uh, return of, uh, what's his name? X-Man? <laughs> I, I, I always choke on that because I never believed they really named a character X-Man, but they did, and uh, he's coming back, and so are you guys excited for this this uh, 90s drawback rubbish? No. <laughs> like, his I, solo I, series during Age of Apocalypse was fine, but his as soon as he made his appearance in the 616, it was terrible, especially that artwork. It is it is not a... Do not go and read that. <laughs> I've, I have a confession. I've only read where he popped in to like the main X titles mm-hmm. after the Age of Apocalypse. So like his book book, I n- I've not read a panel of that. Um, but I didn't l- but see the reason is because when I saw him in the regular X books, like an uncanny and adjectiveless X Men, um, nothing about him made me say, "Hey, I should go read this." <laughs> so I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but I've I've mixed feelings because. Like there's a part of me that thinks that um, it could work on some level, but it never has worked. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's too powerful. He's like he's way too powerful. And then didn't it's like, they have to power... like cut down his powers when he showed up? Yeah, because like he's he's so powerful. Then he if he, he's killing himself with his powers somehow, and if he died, yeah. half the world half the world would blow up if he died. <laughs> And then, oh, wow. then they then they nerfed him when he came back after Ennis killed him off in this series. And then uh, when he was with the New Mutants as a team member for about five minutes, and he didn't have all of his powers, and he was still just there. Oh, okay. Well, that all sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> like not not to go too deep into this, but like the reason he was created was in Age of Apocalypse, he was supposed to be the weapon to destroy Apocalypse. Right. So once Apocalypse died, in sort of his, even though he didn't kill Apocalypse, his destiny is sort of fulfilled. So what's the purpose of him anymore? It's kind of like Cable uh, at this moment. Like, what's he doing right. now? We've already told his story. And, and, Why is and, he still and, doing and, stuff? And and for quite a lot of the run of his comic, he's weirdly in a in a sort of relationship with his clone mother, genetic mother, it's very weird. Oh, like Ma- okay. Madeline, Madeline Pryor's in the book, and it's like it's weird that like there's issues, and then it feels like they're flirting, and then they're not flirting, and 
it's just insane. And then he even finds out that she's like a clone of Jean and all this jazz, and it still keeps going on. And then there's a character that if she feels she absorbs pain to be more powerful, it's very 90s. Huh. It's not cheating if it's a clone, right? Wow. <laughs> well, well, yeah, it's not. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I guess it's also not incest if it's a clone. <laughs> I don't know. That's weird. I'm kind of glad I never read that. Um, <laughs> but you did mention something interesting, Georgie. I wonder then, because we're in the hyperwave of 90s nostalgia, and maybe we can talk about this more when we get to the black books, but since his purpose was to stop Apocalypse, and we ne- just had this little quote-unquote story where Apocalypse <laughs> kind of comes back into something, I wonder, uh, if the, I wonder if their returns are maybe not so coincidental. Yeah. If we get another fucking Age of Apocalypse, I am, I'm going to cry. I'm going to burn books. <laughs> I'm actually going to physically burn books to get another one. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. So... Okay, well, that's, that's the only X news, brand X. <laughs> the only X news that I was aware of that we haven't talked about on air. But is there anything else I want to mention before we dive into the books? Nope. No. Okay. All right. Well, um, I will say, uh, I think by the time this comes out, it will have been out a couple of days. But it looks like y'all just put out a new Excalibros episode. So excited about that. Um. Yeah. Uh, we can give all the deets on that when we get to the end. But um, so before we get to black and our regular X books, I guess we have to do an obligatory check-in with the current X event, extermination. Mm-hmm. So, uh, which one of you guys wants to talk about number four? I'll go. It's fine. <laughs> Well, it is part four or five, so yes. Um, so we 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 start with a cover that is a schizophrenic, um, in style, uh, with all of its peripheral stuff, and as just as the book is, um, Mark Books does the actual cover illustration of uh, Gene and Young Cable in that now obligatorily classic shot of Gene holding. Uh, one of her relatives um, whilst they're being attacked <laughs> by something. And mm-hmm. um, the X-Mansion, I assume it's the X-Mansion, is in ruins behind. Then we have this really bizarre um, sort of the, the original five X-Men sort of old school Marvel box in the corner with the Marvel Comics, classic Marvel Comics across the top, which doesn't make any sense why it's there, and at the bottom it just has, Summers Must Die, which completely, in this like what, yellow font which just doesn't even go with any of the other fonts, it just <laughs> I don't like I don't, I, the image, fine a little cliche, a little too overused, perhaps, fine everything else just seems like it's just like, just print it, get it out there, Yeah. You know I mean? It was like uh, it was like it was Photoshop day at the Marvel offices. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think you said it all day. <laughs> also, I can't help I can't help but think, right? Because like, um, so Young Cable has a costume which reminds me of Jean's 
all new X Men when they had the update costumes. Uh huh. Yeah. And then he's got a belt that reminds me of his belt buckle reminds me of Deadpool's face. Oh like yeah, kind of does. This is I've sat there going, they really don't know what to do visually with this character. I feel like they're just <laughs> flinging elements. Like, does he have rosary beads coming off his off him? Like, or is that oh. part of his poncho? Maybe. And he has got like. Yeah, got, I think it's a uh, Wookiee brains. He stole them from Boba Fett. Clearly. And he has forge feet with like metal forge, you know, forges little metal feet. I but think anyway, he's um, just like a bunch of 16 year olds who are like, you know what would be cool? Young Cable. Yeah, that'd be so cool. <laughs> and like, what kind of story? Uh... <laughs> right, what is he going to do? Uh, it feels he like just good like, cool. His gun's been cut in half and he doesn't really know how to hold it properly. Wait, his balance is off because it's not a 90s gun. And Jean's face, Jean's face just feels like she's disappointed. No, no. Jean's face. So Kid Cable is all like, oh, let's shoot some stuff and blow some stuff up. And Jean Grey looks so bored. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on here? Even her arm, like, posture is like, okay, let me hold my arm out. <sighs> it's almost I, like if they were real people posing for this cover. And this model for Gene was like, is it time for lunch yet? <laughs> He's just thinking, at least they're not got me to put my fingers towards my temple this time around. Um, right. Bless her. I love the colours. The colours I do love on this front cover. So that's a that's a bonus. I think we're all going to agree the artwork is not to blame for whatever is happening in this <laughs> event. <laughs> the exception. Well, Part four of five, uh, written by Ed Brisson. Layouts by Pepe Larraz. Pencils by, is it Ario and My, right, I have to zoom in. Ario Amindito. Um, yeah, Amindito, I think. Yeah. Inks by Dexter Vines. Um, and of Eric. I still have to zoom in so much. Erison Ziga. Erison Ziga, there we go. Um, Arseniega. Arseniega. <laughs> I, I'm obviously, I'm obviously just ignorant of people's of, of, of saying things. Letter uh, the VCs Joe Sabino. Um, is that it? Yeah, Good. that's it. <clears throat> right, so we start on the ridiculously uh, named precod because obviously he's got Ahab, and everything has to reference Moby Dick if you have an Ahab in it. Um, <laughs> And so we have Ahab in his flying ship saying things and then diving towards Cerebro. And then um, Sam, who single-handedly defeated one of the hounds, <laughs> much like Sam, I'm kind of like, well, it only took me to defeat this one. How is How are you all been destroyed? <laughs> um, like, so Sam, Sam uh, brings... Um, sh- um, Shatterstar. I'm I'm literally getting confused with names now. Um, Shatterstar to uh, the X Mansion where everyone's basically been defeated. He gets a quick recap as opposed to a recap page um, of what's going on. They have a bit of a discussion. Who should be doing what? Kitty, Kitty's plan doesn't really make sense. Like we'll do this, you do that, and you stay here. Even though you single-handedly defeated one, you stay here. Um, and then we cut to Kid Cable shouting, 
X-Force shouting. And much like, I feel much like Jean, she just got frustrated and just lifts everyone up and is like, let's have a little bit of a conversation. And because Cable says so, and hasn't at all like manipulated his, anyone with his telepathic powers, uh, he shows Jean like a future vision, which I assume is the what the backups were before this event. You know, with like the X Men in those weird blue costumes and all that jazz, and that if you didn't, if you don't go back in time, or if some of you die, then you know the world ends. Uh, the usual stick, and um, Jean's fine with it. Uh, boom, boom, quite rightly, he's like, well, he's literally mutilated someone here, and, uh, and then also stitched those wings onto a friend of ours. And Kill's like. <laughs> It's okay, he's supposed to be normal. And then Carl, uh, uh, Mimic wakes up and is like, it's fine, he told me after. <laughs> um, as long as you tell me after, I'm okay with torture. Um, you know, the issue then, before, he was literally giving Cable the finger as he was being tortured. And now uh, he's like, yeah, but now it's fine. Like, yeah, I, just, I just wanted to be asked. Yeah, yeah. He, he told him. That's fine, he just wants to be included. That's all it is. And then we cut to Cerebro, Cerebro, and uh, Gene is sort of helping Scott through, you know, the worst of it. And then Ahab's ship turns up, because Ahab's ship turns up. Uh, they teleport a shitload of people on. They have a fight, and the twin has... The twin's ability to turn... the twins, These new twins' ability to turn anyone into a hound seems to be um, just constant. They turn Gabby. Um, I believe they turn... Uh, trinary, um, anyone they touch turns into a hound, um, and things look pretty grim. And it was quite fun that, and uh, with Kurt popping in to try and kill Cyclops, but uh, young Cable appears with the rest, and he's brought the unfridged X Men with him, uh, baby X Men with him. Big explosions ensue, a lot of red and scarlet. Ahab and his magical harpoon. Shunk and oh look, another really overly explicit shock event happens for a cliffhanger as young Cyclops is impaled and everyone's kind of like Scott, as opposed to oh shit, Scott. They're like oh okay, and everything's over, but the cover looks really happy for the next issue. They seem they seem fine with that. Um, so yes. <laughs> And that gene looks like, oh, hey, let's go into the light. Uh, should someone yeah. grab that visor? Hey, you, hand, grab that visor. So, right, um, um, before you guys jump into this, I have three um, issues um, with with this. B, it, it, it boggles the mind <laughs> that he has to even quote the fact that he likes literary references, this Ahab character. It actually made me just stop reading the issue for a little bit just to like come back to it afterwards. <laughs> it was yeah. the dialogue of the dialogue of Ahab is borderline just offensive as in bad dialogue. Not offensive as in like, oh he said something bad. It's just terrible dialogue. Like the worst cookie cookie cutter like Doctor Who villain sort of dialogue you could possibly put on someone. And him quoting he's not Ian McKellen's Magneto, he's not really interesting. He's a dude with a spear who somehow magically can overpower some of the most powerful beings on the, in the Marvel Universe. Somehow. And then, secondly, this, the, the infection 
of hounds is far too convenient and too quick. And it is just a plot device to make the X-Men constantly be on the back heel, which this entire event has been the X-Men on the back heel for no reason whatsoever. And then thirdly, I don't feel like, I feel like the death, if this is truly the death of Cyclops, it's an editorial like nod to be like, we'll just end him completely because the fans voted in the favourite X-Men. Um, I don't know. It just feels like shock for shock's value. Like if he isn't resurrected in the next issue, I don't actually care anymore because 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 the story isn't a real story. It it's like we have to get rid of the original five kids and Cable Kid Cable's cool, but he's killing people. But we have to redeem him real quickly because he's going to be the star of a book. So we'll just have people say we're fine with what he's done. <laughs> and then the other, the other side is we'll just get we'll just shuffle the the, the original five out because we'll use we don't you don't need two. We don't need Ahab and Kid Cable. It could have just been one of them. Yeah, no, exactly. It should have just been one of them. It doesn't make sense to have both. It and really it just, doesn't. It's my. That's my like like. No matter what anyone said, like the art art in places is a is quite rough, but like visually, it, it is much stronger than like its writing. And I do like a lot of the color work. There's a too much red. There was too much red at one point. Like nearly every other panel is red, and I feel like I don't care that it's Cyclops firing his beam, but it's not just that; it's just like every other panel at one point had like stark reds, and it was too much for my eyes to handle. But um, I don't think they can tell a visual story. Like you can tell it's the the um, the Raz near the beginning, and it's his sort of outlines that tracing over. But I don't think this artist can tell a coherent story if the panels are very action orientated feels very messy but that's just me yeah no i agree um this series has been saved so far by pepe's art and when you knock that down even just a degree or two this book becomes unbearable (laughs) for me um and so the fact that the art is even just not quite as good as it was the first three issues I just I was like, how fast can I read this at at one point? Um, yeah, I don't. I think it, there's too many dependencies on this that that check some people's boxes, but don't check mine. Uh, to really enjoy this, you have to be into Ahab, and I'm just not. And I know there are there are people that are there are X fans that have a strong connection and affinity to Ahab, and that's great. But it's not me, and so. Every time he's in the book, I'm just like, okay, when do we get past this? Um, and Dan, I completely agree. The hound thing is just too like, oh, here's a little switch. We'll decompress, turning them against so we can fight each other. And, and like I said, just keep everybody off balance. But I would think K. Cable would knock. I mean, when you're fighting a young, a, a young version of a familiar friend, you don't understand their motivation, and they killed their older selves, and then explained why it was okay. And that, to me, is enough to keep everybody off balance. But yeah, so I mean, I think I just kind of reset all the stuff you just said, but whatever. <laughs> well, you you nailed it. We don't need two villains here that are kind of performing the same function. Um, it's odd. I agree. The artwork is a step down from what it was. You know, as we mentioned, the the writing is so much worse that 
<laughs> it's hard for it not to stand out here. Um, this dish just feels like a story of, wouldn't it be cool if this happened? Instead of something happens to a character and this is how they react to it and this is where the story goes. It's just, and this would be cool, so let's do that. And then this would be cool, so we'll do this. And then Ahab's cool, so he'll just like take these guys out. Remember in Gold where, I forget the character's name, it was like Executioner, but he, he like defeated all the X-Men with like a machine gun? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's what this feels like. Like, I've got a spear, I can beat them all, which is... It's it's so weird, but um, the final point I want to bring like uh, bring up is is mimic who obviously you know in a if he's rational at all he's not gonna be like oh yeah torture I'm cool with it now that you told me about it afterward is one thing, and then it looks like what's happened to Cyclops is is one of two things either you know Calvin hints that hey I'm willing to do whatever it takes so he either is impersonating Cyclops. And then he's the one that gets the, the spear thrown through him. Or he's like, I'll do whatever it takes. And he's going to pretend to be Cyclops when he goes back in time. Uh, which would be even weirder. But um, I, I'm pretty oh, sure... Georgie, like, Georgie, you just solved everything. I because did. If, if, if Calvin Rankin goes back in time and all the stuff we don't like about Modern Cyclops is attributed to him, including his death by the Inhumans. <laughs> then regular Cyclops would just step out of the shadows and go, "Here I am. I was in um, uh, Maui, just hanging out. I've learned to surf really well. Um, I'm ready to lead the X Men again, and everything is perfect." Sure. <laughs> I'd like, also like um, to point out, like Cyclops is going full blast on Ahab, and Ahab's just like sitting there taking it like it's nothing. What is? What does, do powers of? have no effect on on Ahab? Is he, does he have like like power buffs? I don't understand this character. And I don't isn't know. He, Cyclops sinking Zubibro as he murders, tries to murder him. Yeah, but but uh, my, the shirtless guy rubbing shirtless with Cyclops' shoulders—that's a mimic, right? Yep. Uh, okay, I think you're right, Georgie. I think I think that's. Mimic hanging on the wall there at the end. Yeah, which is so weird to just be like, yeah, I'm just going to sacrifice myself because. Because wouldn't that be a cool idea? We're going to fake him out. They'll think it was Cyclops, but it was really Mimic. It's a cool idea. <laughs> that's my that's my impression of Rosenberg pitching this to, to, to White. Um. What I did find hilarious, though, is that um, like the met, the slight meta commentary from Cannonball and from Boom Boom, who both sort of describe how these events are ridiculous and how anyone has been taken down by Ahab, and how we're even interesting ourselves to a guy that's been murdered, has murdered Cable, and has tortured our friends. I was like, I love it. There's two voices of reason, and they're completely dismissed. But it feels like like. like like moments of lo- like like we have been implanted in the comic itself and been like wait a second should we really be doing any of this? Um, I just I did quite like that sort of it's only two pieces of dialogue but at least there was some sort of moment where I was like no well, I do agree with you for fe- like I've agreed I never agreed with Boom Boom I don't particularly like her so it's I was like well at least at least someone I can get behind logic is what I can get behind that's nice mm. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. 
All right. Well, I'm going to get extermination number four, two out of six claws. I'm going to go one. Okay. It's just too, it's just too bad now. It, it, it just is. I almost want to give it a two just for how stupid it is. Like, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to earn an extra point for being so overly stupid. Like, this should be a one, but I'll give you a two because you just went, you turned the dial up to 11. So. <laughs> that's funny. All right. Well, that's our extermination catch up. I guess we'll see how it ends at some point, though it has been significantly delayed. So we'll see. Um, is it coming out next month or is it later than that? I don't know. It was supposed, originally, it was supposed to be done by this week. So, but four got pushed back and then five got pushed back. So, I'm hoping maybe it's all actually done before Uncanny launches, but I don't know. So, perfect. Yep. All right. Well, Georgie, you want to take us through X Men Red number nine? Number nine? Sure. Number nine? X Men Red number nine. Writer Tom Taylor. Uh, artist Roger Antonio. Uh, color artist Rain Barreto, and letterer is VC's Corey Pettit. Woohoo! Woohoo! So, um, on the cover, we've got another standalone character, sort of posing. This time, it's it's bearded Nightcrawler, uh, with his sort of uh, purpley smoke all around him. I, I, for me, the covers have been kind of the weakest part of this series. Uh, what do you guys think about this Nightcrawler cover? I actually really like this one by Jenny Prison. Um, I think the colors are pretty cool, and I think Nightcrawler looks pretty dapper with his beard. But um, I can see why it's not for everybody, though. Well, I like it because bearded Nightcrawler. Right. <laughs> That's a low <laughs> bar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. He's like my favorite character. It's beautifully colored. I generally think the colors are gorgeous, and I really like it. It's ages since I've seen a really nice Nightcrawler. Yeah. He used to wear armor, remember, in, in that run. Ooh, that extraordinary chainmail, yeah. yeah. The bar was already set too low. <laughs> All right, then. So um, we start off with uh, Kitty uh, phoning up Jean on Skype and letting her know that uh, Rachel has been taken over. And so the undersea X-Men have to come up with a plan on how to defeat Cassandra Kane. Sorry, Cassandra Nova. Uh, a little slip of the <laughs> tongue <girl>. there. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that girl. <laughs> I'm sorry, orphan. I mean, if she yeah. can, if she can jump through, you know, universes, she might be pretty dangerous. Right. But um, so they have to come up with a plan. Uh, Jean says she's going to go fight Cassandra on her own. Kurt wants to join, and he's and uh, Jean says, "Look, I know you had feelings for Rachel, but." Um, you know, we don't have to do this. We're good. Um, and then Jean goes to walk down the hallway, and Gabby interrupts her and is like, hey, I can help out. I've got a very similar uh, experience to you, which was quite a, a, a funny couple of panels here. I really loved it. And I did not know, is this canon? Did this happen to Gabby? I must have missed this. Did she become an alien queen huh? somewhere? Yeah, taken over by the brood in uh, our new Wolverine. I must have missed that that one. And it was during uh, Winter and Kirk's run. Hmm. 
Well, uh, I mean, that was a great page. Uh, then we get uh, a page of Storm and Jean sort of reconnecting. And Storm's like, I'm, I'm, I'm a leader. I'm tough. I can help out. I'm not a child. So she gets an actual role in the next book, uh, which was nice. <laughs> um, we cut over to Cassandra Nova, who's got Rachel on chains. And she lets Rachel go to fight Jean. We get some nice uh, panels of, of energy blasts back and forth. Uh, we cut back to the underwater X-Men, where uh, two of our lesser-known characters, I don't know if they both have feelings for each other, but have like an awkward, like, hey, do you like me kind of a conversation, uh, until <laughs> X-23 just like cuts through uh, tension in another you know, couple of funny panels. This is like some great character work along with some fun action. Well, yeah, because Gabby says, uh, use your snicked powers. Swice through the awkward. Yeah. <laughs> it's really funny. So that was that was nice. I mean, these are two characters that haven't gotten much play in the series. And with the series ending shortly, I, I'm guessing they won't get much more play. But it was good to see them tr- start to get fleshed out. Um, we cut back to the fight. And uh, Jean has won. Uh, sort of defeated Rachel. And Cassandra goes to destroy her. But Jean says, don't. I'll give you me if you let Rachel go so she finally lets Rachel go um, and Cassandra's like Jean you're an idiot and blows her up but obviously Jean wasn't really there she, it was just a mental projection and they get into some some verbal sparrings um, until uh, Jean says we're coming for you and uh, end of the issue so I kind of rushed, rushed through a lot of that uh, but I, I didn't quite enjoy issue 8 uh, last time I I don't remember if I was just in a a bad bad place or if I if it really wasn't up to par. But this this issue came up I want to say not this week but the week before and was my my issue of the week uh, that week. I I really like this issue. Me too. Um, I I think the art change was for the better. Um, I don't want to swag on Carmen and and. But this just seems a lot more. The action looks a lot better, and I I hope that you know the artist switch because the uh, Carmen what I forget the last name is going to Captain Marvel with Kelly Thompson, and that that needs good action too. So hopefully, you know they're working on their their Dynamo action. But I felt like this book, the facial expressions and the action, it was just a, it was a better fit to Taylor's script. Yes. Um. And I actually enjoyed the art. I don't. I'm not familiar with Raj or Roger or however Antonio, but I really enjoyed the art quite a bit. Dan, sorry, I was just looking at the art. Um, no, I I agree. The art is really expressive, and I found it at times to just work wonders with the like almost as if the characters were delivering the one-liners. Yeah, um, which is a really nice touch. Like um, X twenty three's sort of while she's giving, you know, using her snicked powers, um, her little look is just almost on point for for Laura and like how she's been and the the sort of Jean's um, little speech to Cassandra really needed to be nailed visually as well as sort of in the script. And I think the art does wonders that way and i love a lot of the color work and i like that they've sort of given rachel green 
because it plays really nicely with the sort of pinky purple of Jean. Mm-hmm. That was quite, was quite nice back and forwards. But oh. um, from, like, the art was the art's just the icing on the cake because this script is just astonishing. It's great, yeah. But that page, speaking of the colors and the, the pink versus the green, that page of Jean hovering in the air for like the top probably four fifths of the page, and then Rachel and with her Green Lantern energy flying away from Cassandra Nova, that that page is amazing. It's it looks beautiful. so good. Um I <laughs> this is X Men. Because yeah. it is it, <laughs> it it is melodrama, it is is a little bit of action and it is a message. Um the speech that she gave gives at the back of this book is the most relevant thing I've read since the last time X-Men Red did something something relevant about the current state of our world. And however utterly unsubtle it is, uh, positioning Cassandra Nova as the, as the big bad of our world and our time, and Jean being the voice of compassion and hope, uh, or my hand... My, I I tip my hat. My good God, I never. I have. I'm like, why is this ending? Why isn't he given Uncanny X Men and the keys to the X Kingdom? Because right. he's the only person writing an actual X Men book. Hands yeah. down, like yeah. it, it. This script moved. It's my. It was my comic of the week because it moves me. And I read reread the whole. I've read the whole up to here. I've read, and the book just is is so emotive it's so funny it's everything that i grew up thinking the x-men was distilled into like 10 you know like 10 well nine issues or it'll be 11 when it finishes issues and i I just don't get why i don't get why it's being cast i just don't understand why it's ending yeah it breaks my heart this, this feels very much like the symbolic successor to the claremont run and that this is like there's funny moments, there's some good character moments, there's good action, there's like soap opera drama. It feels like, uh, you know, obviously it's not written the same way. Uh, there's not word bubbles everywhere, um, and there's not you know terrible stereotypes all over the place. But it feels like this is what X books are supposed to be. Um, and I also really want to point out, artwork-wise, you guys nailed it. But there's a a page uh, after. Gene uh, is blowed up. That uh, it focuses mostly on Cassandra's face, and just the color work on her face in that page is, like stands out so much for me. Like she's got like all, like dirt on her, and she looks like weathered and like tired. Um, and she's got even like a bit of like red in in the eyes of like like bloodshot eyes uh, because of all the stress she's going through. It looks just amazing. It is honestly visually, it's really well thought out. Like whoever decided to enlarge and Jean as she talks to Cassandra, visually showing how small-minded and closed-off hatred is in mm-hmm. the face of, in the face of being together and being stronger and hoping for and fighting for a better future. Uh, I just I don't know. It just makes it fills my heart full of hope when I hear just I didn't like I do not like G Gray. Like generally, I could, I think it was, the three of us could probably say that she's not in like our top five characters of X Men, but uh, mm-hmm. this this Jean Grey, if if like I like I tweeted out, if this Jean Grey carries on, this what Taylor has tapped into, she will quickly be one of my favorite characters because she she 
is embodying what the X-Men is about without um, without leaning on nostalgia or, or like, tired, tropey nonsense. <laughs> if you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't need to see Mojo to think, oh, this is an X-Men book. I just need to see people fighting for what they believe in. And her comment of, um, I'm, I'll die, I can, I will die for what I believe in. Will you? Is that was my favorite line of the entire issue? I was just like, wow, just wow. Um, he walks, he walks a line here that if if he what if he took a step over would make this really overwrought and too preachy. But I think he oh, walks a okay. line just just to the edge where you still believe it and it doesn't come across as hokey. I think no, I mean, is anyone to frame it in a way that it sounds like? A person talking, and it sounds like Gina saying it, versus like a pre-writ <clears throat> kind of agenda-driven script. Like it sounds very heartfelt, and I think that plays to the humanity of it, and it makes it sound very sincere and and less preachy because it sounds so natural. And it and it's punctuated, and before it is punctuated with um, human moments of other characters giving her sort of support and lending their help and people getting on with their lives in the face of all this like like a like a relationship is blossoming while people are like sucking the hate out of the internet at the same time you know what i mean it's <laughs> right of, i think i think there's a there's a clever it's clever the way it's framed itself i agree well i am going to get this book Full marks, six out of six claws for me. What about you guys? Um, I, yeah, <laughs> six out of six claws for me. Easily so, easily so. I mean, Taylor. Oh boy, what a what a writer. Yeah, so looking forward to him and Cabal on their Spider-Man book. Yeah, cannot wait to read that. Gonna hey, miss the hell you, out um, of this, but oh yeah, totally miss this. Did you read the uh, Batman Secret Files issue? I just did uh, a couple of days ago, yes. I really enjoyed Taylor's uh, Detective Chimp uh, yeah. episode in that as well. Yeah, it was pretty good. Pretty good. It kind of surprised me. I don't normally get into that as much, but uh, it was it was pretty interesting. Really gave the, the chimp some humanity as well, so mm-hmm. that, that works. All right, well... We have let these pile up, so we're going to talk about <coughs> X-Men Back in Black. Cause I'm back. Oh, <laughs> my God. <good> God. <laughs> so I think what I'll do is I will kind of kick off each issue, each issue. I don't want to spend like an hour on these books, but I mean, I don't want to cut you guys off either, so we'll see where it goes. But, uh, I'll kind of kick off each issue and then let you guys chime in. Um, I want to see, we'll kind of go through these five five books and then we'll save the apocalypse thing for the end. Sure. Okay, cool. All right, so Magneto Black, The Triumphant Return of Chris Claremont. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) I know there were some people on the internet that were saying that. Yeah, yep. Uh, that's because I hadn't read this. Um, penciled by Dalmor Tologic, uh, inks by Roberto Poggi and Bellardino Bravo. I apologize for all these names. I'm probably not getting them right. But uh, colors by Dono Sanchez Amaro. 
Lenders by VCs Joker and Manya. Uh, there was a J. Co- Scott Campbell couple. J. Oh, my goodness. So tongue tied. Uh, a J. Scott Campbell cover. But where I could, I actually got the uh, prison lineup Salvador LaRocca covers. Um, I really liked how the name cards had like numbers relevant to the characters. So, like. All right. Magneto's is like 1091963, you know, from when he debuted. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, <laughs> basically in this book, Magneto goes to the Gold Star Cafe, symbolic because it's in a Western town, but also because Jews wore gold stars in the concentration camps. In a Western town, in Denver, Western <laughs> boys, Western girls. Boys. Why? <laughs> I said the western town. It just the song came yeah. to mind. I'm sorry. And so he meets a girl, befriends a girl at the restaurant, and they're just chilling. Some mutant stuff comes on the news. The people get mad, and then uh, eventually, oh, Magneto's in space fighting fake X Men. Um, and then he fights a, a sentinel in the desert. I, I honestly forgot what happened. Um, <laughs> but um, he does a bunch of stuff. I did not. I don't like this. I don't like this at all. <laughs> so go ahead, guys. <laughs> so basically, um, he, at the end, Magneto becomes evil Magneto again. And he's got his or is that a different issue? No, that was blue. Uh, it's, it's every time he shows up the last yeah. few months. It happens again. It gets re-explained why he's going back to the dark side. Yeah. I I didn't hate hate this issue. There are points where I was like, hey, Claremont's not so bad. But, uh, I mean, the artwork here is incredibly forgettable. Rather, I'd, I'd like to forget it. And, um, I mean, it's kind of a needless issue is, is all it feels like. Yeah. One hundred percent filler. Dan, so I, I'm just familiar. It was forgettable. It was there was. I, is there art in this book or just word balloons? I, <laughs> I just, I just. It is simultaneously. It's like like the Magneto, the classic Magneto voice that Claremont has for him. Still, sort of works. So it simultaneously is okay in places, but it is the worst Claremont writings. The only thing missing is mind control, and right. I just I don't get how many times Magneto has to be evil. By the end of it, I didn't even feel like he was evil. He was just sort of like fighting people who were flinging sentinels and shit at him. I mean, I just I don't know. It, it, it's it's a shaky start. To the five issues. Yeah, it yep, really was. Yep. Um, and what I'm about to say does not, nothing tarnishes the way I feel about classic Claremont. And if you want to get specific thoughts on that, listen to the flashback episodes. But I don't need Claremont anymore. Like, I, I don't know. I'm perfectly loving to go back and reread the old stuff. I just, if this is, what he would have to contribute now, I'm fine without it. 
Do you know what Claremont is for a lot of people? He's that safety, he's that black blanket or that teddy bear or that thing you had as a kid that really protect, like, you know, would save your life or whatever at nighttime while you dream. And you really loved it. It's that beat up toy that sometimes when you go in the attic and you're trying to like whistle around to find something, you find it, you go, oh, I had loads of good times. Some people are like, oh, I had loads of good times. I'll bring that toy back into my life. And other people, <laughs> rational, rational people, will be like, um, that was a really good time to have with this toy. Okay, back into the box you go. You know, sort of thing. And I feel yeah. like there's, a, there's like a, two types of X fans. The ones that are like, Claremont's awesome, but he doesn't have a place in modern comic storytelling, really. And then there's the other ones that are like, only Claremont has a place in modern <laughs> comics, X-Men. That's the only, there's no like middle ground. It's just no or yes. That's yeah. how I feel. Yep. All right. Well, um, I actually gave this one out of six claws. I'm kind of wish I wouldn't have read it. Um, I don't think it's that bad. I'll, I'm going to give it two though. Okay. I, I'm going to give it uh, a one just because the artwork really rubs me the wrong way the whole way through. It. Uh, I mean, the story is what whatever it is. It's sort of what you expect from Claremont, but you know you could still have like a, a overly written Claremont story and have some nice visuals to go along with it. But this doesn't have anything. So next up we have X Men Black Mojo, um, which <laughs> is written by Scott Ackerman. Emmett is not liking these X Men Black books. <laughs> um, of course, of comedy Bang Bang fame. Um, Art is by Nick Bradshaw and Andre Lima Araujo. Araujo? I don't know. Um, colors by Guru Effects. Letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. And again, covers by J. Scott Campbell and Salvador LaRocca. Um, and this is basically uh, one of Mojo Had Feelings. And he's, he's still on Earth trying to take over the New York airways with Major Domo. But he's been sneaking out in a classic trench coat and fedora with his spider legs to a coffee shop because he met a girl. And um, then he also meets Glob Herman, who kind of talks him into kind of trying to be normal and like, hey, it's okay to look freaky as long as you're a cool person. And gives him some dating advice. And there's lots of kind of one-liners. Um, and they they become friends. And then... Sentinels show up, Cyclops Sentinels that are Mojo's creation, and we get this X-23 shows up and does some classic Wolverine versus Sentinel stuff. Uh, Rockslide gives her a, flash, a fastball special. Uh, we meet Mucus, which was Scott Ackerman and Andre Lima Araujo's um, creation, and he spits loogies all over X-23 to give her a spitball special, which I thought was kind of funny, but will create a trajectory too unpredictable for tracking. And as Rockslide throws her, Laura's like, this is gross. Then the Sentinel catches Laura, and Mojo's like, no, everybody stop. I don't want this to happen anymore. Um, And then Major Domo gives Mojo's would-be girlfriend, threatens her. Uh, Mojo shoots with his tail cannon, he meets the girl, and then he decides, later, I'll take over the world. 
And so I thought the art was good and the story was I don't know, it's kind of sweet, like seeing Glob and Mojo kind of have a buddy moment. Uh, coming from a comedy person, some of the jokes landed really well. Some of them seemed to try a little hard, but uh, what do you guys think? I preferred Bradshaw's section to the end. Yeah. Um, visually, they're both really good visuals, and to be honest, compared to Magneto, this was a breezy silly little addition which yes. doesn't change doesn't really sort of changes the status quo slightly for mojo but again it proves like what is the what is the actual purpose of these black issues <laughs> like, magneto hasn't proven a purpose for, for that issue to exist and this doesn't it's a good little like one shot but are they are these showcasing villains or heroes or love stories and you know i'm, I'm kind of like all over the place, but I, d- I actually quite enjoyed this one. I didn't, I didn't mind it. Yeah, so. I had fun with it. How about you, yeah. Georgie? It's an original story from Mojo, which was nice. It wasn't the same. Yeah, we're kidnapping the X Men so that I could have great ratings. <laughs> the only story from Mojo, <laughs> right? right. That, yeah. So this was it's like a fun twist on it. Uh, I agree. The artwork was, uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of just paging through it right now, enjoying the artwork uh, for the most part, and it was like a fun story. I, it's nothing groundbreaking, and I wouldn't give it like uh, super high marks, but it was fun for what it was, and at least it was an interesting take on Mojo. Yeah, yeah. We can get the introduction of the Spitball Special <laughs> added to to Wolverine Cannon. Sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Well, I gave the Mojo issue four out of six claws. Um, I I see. I I liked it, but I gave it three. Okay. Fair enough. I think artwork-wise, this earns it uh, a four for me. Very good. All right. Moving right along to Mystique. Um, written by Shannon McGuire. Art by Marco Faya. Colors by Jesus Arbatov. Letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. He's had a busy few weeks on these black books. Um, yeah. And covers again by J. Scott Campbell and Salvador LaRocca. Um, this one is basically Mystique just kind of showcasing her talents. Um, she frames a senator for like beating his girlfriend uh, by faking a black eye, but she's basically going to go try to rescue this mutant, I guess, kind of celebrity, or maybe she's a celebrity because she got captured, but she frames this old janitor at the Trask building to but then ultimately is framing the kid so that she will be further hounded and have to be a villain with Mystique, maybe? I don't... I'm not real sure. Um, Other than Mystique just kind of saying, look at all the cool stuff I can do, I'm not real sure what the motivations are. Um, But the artwork was fine. What do you guys think? I feel like this was like an atypical Mystique story because she's never really been written well. Um, and, and with her motivations, I don't mean the character herself. Like, so, sometimes she's really remember the time she worked for Professor Xavier, for example. Yeah. Um, and um, I actually kind of just sort of thought to myself, I feel like she just it makes me feel like she just with people because she can, <laughs> and that's the sort of sense I got 
by the end of it. And to be honest, it's been ages since I've actually read anything where I've enjoyed Mystique being in it. So I was quite pleasantly surprised, even if there is no like direction to her madness. Um, I actually kind of I kind of like the idea that you like what you just kind of uh, said there is that she's just. I mean, she's been around a long time, and maybe her purpose has just evolved into just causing chaos. And that's kind of an interesting take. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing some more of that. Unfortunately, she's Not been yeah. yeah, she's so inconsistent, and they even have come up with a story reason for her to be inconsistent because all the morphing like messes with her mental stability. So now anyone can do whatever they want with her. And just say, oh, she's just the phase she's in right now. And so there's really no kind of character anchor for Mystique. So you have to take all her stories as kind of a grain of salt, I think, from now forever, I guess. But I don't know. What do you think, Georgie? This was in a similar way to the Magneto issue. It's like, yeah, I mean, I guess this is a story. Um, but 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 much better uh, executed. Uh, I mean, she just does stuff, and then it's over, and there's not a real point to it, but the artwork's fairly good, and I guess it's kind of fun. It was just sort of, like, there and done with for me. Yeah. Me too. I I ended up giving it a three out of six claws. I probably agree with you. Let's let's make it three out of three, then. All right. Three out of three for three. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, next we have X-Men Black Juggernaut, uh, written by Robbie Thompson, art by Sean Crystal, colors by Rico Renzi. Um, it's funny because if Andrew's listening, he and I just talked about Rico Renzi. Uh, it's one of Andrew's favorite colors right now, and I haven't really read much sure. of him, so I was glad to see his name. Um, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. And the covers, again, by J. Scott Campbell and Salvador LaRocca. Haven't spent much time on these covers. I will say of the J. Scott Campbell versions, this one's my favorite. Sure. Of his. Um, does a pretty menacing-looking juggernaut, and so I enjoyed that. Uh, but basically, we get some really psychedelic color work as a giant juggernaut fights old-school X-Men and then giant size era X-Men, and then meets his younger self, but it turns out he's just being tested in the Temple of Sidorak by Sidorak himself. He wakes up and doesn't like it, tries to fight Sidorak. Sidorak kind of laughs at him in his defeat, but says, oh, I see this new part of you, this inner rage, as personified by the scared, frightened child of Cain Marco. And as we leave, uh... Juggernaut, the, the child is still kind of an inner voice with him, which is kind of interesting. I think the highlight of this book for me was definitely the art and definitely the colors. Um, it's a very stylized kind of kind of art thing, but you know it's funny because I wouldn't really say there's a lot of similarities in actual style, but in some paneling, he does some things that reminded me of Javier Rodriguez. And in a good way, uh, like that scene where uh, Juggernaut's fighting through the different levels of the mansion yep. was, was yep. seen by something we'd see like in uh, Spider-Woman or Exiles. Um, Definitely. So, but yeah, what did you guys think? I am with you. I really enjoyed the artwork. Uh, Rico Renzi did a lot of the color for Spider-Gwen, 
So uh, okay, that's cool. that's a reason for you to try and you know jump back on that series or, or read those old issues. Yeah. Um, this feels very much like what if the X Men was drawn in the style of the Venture Brothers is is really how this feels. <laughs> And okay. I mean that in the best way possible. Right. Like th- yeah. There's definite artistic style to this that feels sort of, I don't know, 60s-ish, like fun and angular. And uh, like the story is fine. I mean, Juggernaut's angry again, uh, whatever. But uh, it's just sort of a joy to to page through and, and look at the artwork. Yeah, I agree. See, I... Um... Slightly disagree. Um, although it's really nicely vibrant, and I've really enjoyed Spider Gwen's coloring, and this has got some really nice sort of callbacks to that kind of color palette in places. I this is my least like this. At least careful, Magneto. careful with saying least favorite with Magneto in yeah. this pile. <laughs> I just, I just think it, I think it, this, uh, it's not my. I just didn't like it that much yeah. at all. Um, Fair enough. I think I think the story is really bland and just a non-event. And even though there are moments in the art that seemed interesting to me, like the eyes in the first page or later on, um, but it reminded me more of like um, maybe I've been watching too much kids TV with my nephew. It reminded me of like really simply drawn kids television and that's not always a bad thing and i don't know why i'm making it sound like it's a bad thing but i just didn't i just didn't feel like it was sophisticated enough to like capture any of the emotional reaches the script tries to go and then when you see this tentacle sitter act i was like oh right okay <laughs> so by the end of it i was like Meh. all right well I actually kind of like it when we disagree sometimes. <laughs> so thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, Georgie, what do you want to agree? I'll let you go first on this one. And I'm, I'm going to give this in... a four to, four to six clause. Um, okay. Mostly for the artwork. The story was fine. Yeah. Yeah, I was right there with you. I was trying to decide if I like the art and colors enough to give it a five, but I think a four is is more suitable. And uh, Dan, how much lower than us are you going to go? I feel, oh, oh. No, don't feel bad. Just do it. Slam it, Dan. Slam it. <laughs> two, two. My, my, my good feeling is two. Okay, sounds good. Um, I do. I, I kind of wish they'd gone the extra mile and made Sidorak somehow recreate the young Kane because I wouldn't mind seeing. I don't really want to see Juggernaut walk around with an imaginary voice, but if there was some way that the two could interact, like, really, I think that would be interesting. Um, but, alas, not what they decided to do. Um, okay, so now we started with the worst for me, and for me, we're going to end with the best. Um, the Emma Frost Black issue is written by Lee Williams. Which, by the way, just a shout-out. I did this on Twitter already, but in case you're not following me on Twitter. Um, at the hearty recommendation of both these fellas here, uh, I've been skipping all the what-if, the new what-if issues, but you guys both are like, everyone should read the what-if magic written by uh, Lee Williams here. And I read it, and it's one of the best comics I've read in a good while. And 
one of the all-time great magic stories, I thought. So definitely go check that out. Um, anyway, here she is writing Emma Frost, uh, art by Chris Bacallo. Uh, and if only only unfortunate thing about this issue, maybe, is that we have an army of inkers. Uh, Fokker. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> Uh, you broke his nose, Fokker. Um, Vey, Livesey, Townsend, Mendoza, and Bacala himself. Uh, also have an army of colorists. Yeah. Antonio Fabella, Dan Brown, Carlos Lopez, Chris Bacala. And then all the letters got done by the same person, by VC's Corey Pettit. woo <laughs> And then, of course, we have the covers again by J. Scott Campbell and Salvador LaRocca. Um this, to me, is the most actual story we get in any of these issues. Yeah. Uh, we have Emma Frost meeting Rogue um, and some of the X-Men at Walmart. Um, and she has an idea. The Hellfire Club are at their most vulnerable with uh, Shaw having succumbed to Mother Vine. And you know what? They've been behind like the uh, mutant Illuminati, and we need to take them down. I need your guys' help. And here's my plan and what we're going to do. We get an awesome, awesome page of Lee Williams being brilliant, where Emma is mockingly talking in everybody else's voice, which was one of the highlights of the issue for me. She makes fun of Rogue and Nightcrawler. But the X-Men agree. And they're going to strike different Hellfire Club locations that are remaining. Remember, after it actually references the story of Blue, where Magneto went through and destroyed a bunch of Hellfire Club uh, chapters. But they're going to try to get the rest of them. But Emma is going after Shaw, and she gets his penthouse suite. We had an awesome scene of her just going floor by floor and making people do terrible things with her mental commands. She gets to the 50th floor. She turns diamond and gets shot. But of course she's bulletproof. She confronts Shaw in his penthouse, uh, chastises him for his taste in possibly too young of girls and his sexual deviancy. She takes Shaw on. Shaw fights her and preaches at her about how inferior she is. Uh, he thinks he's got her beat, but then he collapses, and Emma laughs and says, I've been planning this forever. And then we also see that she wrote a bunch of notes to the X-Men, and she did not want to topple the Hellfire Club. She just wanted to take out the power structure, and she is going to be the new Black King. And the X-Men got played for the fool, and... I don't know. And this, besides actually tying into, like, actual story, um, you know, it's funny because I haven't read a lot of Lee Williams. And and she did the gold annual with Guggenheim, and it was fine, but I wasn't like, I don't really understand what everybody's so excited about. And I read that magic what if, and I read this, and her ability to capture singular character voices is like top notch so i really get it now i get like why people are like yeah give her more books because after reading the what if and this i'm like yeah give her more books <laughs> so what do you guys think i you know bacala is one of my favorite artists I, you know there's no secret that dan and i are, are giant gen x fans so uh you know we have uh 
we love our Bacalo. And there are like teases of great Bacalo artwork in here, but you'll go from panel to panel depending on who's inking and coloring. We'll go from mm-hmm. great to like, ooh, this is different to, oh, that's not so good. So right. unfortunately, like art-wise, they're just it's wonderful teases of what this book could have been followed by like ugh, panels. Um and story-wise, I mean, I agree. This is the only story we've really. I guess the mojo was a story, kind of, uh, but in terms of something that had an actual bearing on on the X Men characters, this is the only story that was told, and it felt very much like Emma. Um, so, it's it was it was fine. I I think it's definitely on the upper echelon of these black books, um, but you know, for me, it was the inconsistent artwork that really. Uh, left sort of a sour taste in my mouth. Sounds good. Um, this was easily the best out of all of them. Um, it wasn't really hard to beat them all. <laughs> all right. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> I agree with Georgie. Uh, he's evolved over the years, but. When you see his name, Bacala's name, with like a thousand Incas, you don't expect good times. Townsend, if it was just him and Townsend, we would have uh-huh. had a beautiful, beautiful book. Um, yeah. But with like the army he had beside him, I think it was a little too much. Like, and but the visual sequences of going up in the lift and through the penthouse um, and the whole building. Which is wonderfully done, um, uh, very cinematically done. In fact, sure, and sure. A lot of wide panels. I did like the sort of confrontation between her and visually between her and um, Shaw, but there are quite a lot of panels that just didn't quite make the cut. Um, I do love the regal panel of Storm when she's first saying about the plan. But it would have been nice to, near the end, to get some, like, classic uh, Bacalo, uh, like, I used to call it, like, smirk face. You know, like, right at the end, uh, where she's given letters out to everyone. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it would have been nice to get some, like, character reaction from the X-Men, as opposed to, like, sort of semi, semi, sort of, worthwhile. Uh, story-wise, yes. Um, can we have her write, like... Um, like a Hellfire book, please. Yeah, or something awesome. Yeah, um, because like, it, it, like you said, it connects to. It has a meaning within the the idea of the continuity at the moment, which isn't always important. But it's nice that this this book actually, like, but I struggled with the rest of them because it doesn't really do anything. Whereas this one felt like it was supposed to, like, this is what all of them were supposed to do: set up a new status quo for each individual character that they're right. showcasing, and. You could argue some of them do. Um, but, like, Juggernaut's just reset to being angry. Mojo might not invade the place for another year. Magneto's <laughs> evil again. You know, like, the rest don't do anything. Whereas this, this, is, this is fighting against the editorial mandate, it seems, to have Emma back as a villain. Uh, which, she has not been a villain since, like, Generation X. <laughs> I mean, it's been <laughs> right. quite a long time. Um but it's like this mandate to make her back into a villain. And as, oppo- as opposed to the IVX treatment of that idea, we have a very... 
We have a very very, like well-rounded way of like treating that concept of well why not and I love the fact she calls herself the Black King that was really nice you could tell it's written by a woman right not just because of that but like the whole way through you can tell it's written by a woman Uh and there's some sort of like extra layer to her voice that I haven't really heard that kind of snark before it's not like Morrison's sort of Emma, where it's like the what I like Morrison's Emma, but it, she is quite on notes, if you know what I mean. Right. It feels like got a little bit more layers here, and that's all done in one issue. That's what's really quite impressive about this script is it's all like shuffled together in this one issue. But I I agree with Georgie that the art sometimes just lets it down a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think for me. I, I I saw the credits and I was like, oh no, kind of face palmed a little bit because having that many people work on the art is never positive, I found. Um, but I feel like for me, it, it wasn't maybe as bad as you guys because for me, what it is, it took it from being like awesome, awesome art to just pretty good art. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I don't think any of it, re- I don't really have as many panels that I struggled with, there's just some that aren't as good as the rest. Um, so I'm actually going to give this pretty high marks. I'm going to go five out of six claws for Emma Frost Black. Um, I'll give it five because she uses her own hand, a diamond form, to uh, intensify a beam to knock you off. Yeah, that was pretty great. But, which was a brilliant idea. So it definitely gets five <laughs> for me. Yeah, I'm. I'm on a. I'll give it a low five. I, I I feel like I like Bacalo so much that I'm disappointed when I'm not getting like true Bacalo. So yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Um. Well, sounds good. Uh, there was also in the back of all of these, a no. few pages of Apocalypse Regen. Or no, it's not not Regeneration. Degeneration. Um. Which was, uh, did it have credit? Yeah. Uh, Zach Thompson, you were talking about the other, the three Thompsons, um, and Lonnie Madler were the writers. Uh, Geraldo Borges was the art. Rochelle Rosenberg, the colors. VCs, Corey Pettit, the letters. Um, I kind of hated this, thought it was ugly and pointless and. The only thing that could have been cool during this last chapter, we kind of have like Apocalypse Island, <laughs> which maybe could have been a cool concept, but then they sink it. So, yeah, I don't, I really don't even understand why this existed. So, yeah, what was this story trying to tell? Because it did nothing. <laughs> I don't, like, he devolved him, and then by the majesty that is Apocalypse, he re evolved into. <laughs> What is it? And how he just did it because, like, he just the power was still within him. It was. I I like your phrase because of the majesty of Apocalypse. uh, Yeah, that's that's really all that happened. I really disliked all these backups. Yeah. Um, (laughs) This was so bad. I have a little. If extinction is like something we rag on for being so stupid, like this is, there's a level to extinction. That is comical and enjoyable to rag on. Apocalypse is just like it brings my soul down. I don't even <laughs> want to like joke about how bad it is. I just want to forget it ever happened. Yeah. 
So I have a confession to make. Um, I read the first one and the last one <laughs> and ignored the rest. Hey, and to, me, and to me, to me, it felt like I've de-evolved. I'm now Apocalypse again. So like, it just, yeah. I felt like I, I, it was the best way to read it. Um, to like just skip the middle is it's utterly pointless. <laughs> Much like Multiple Man. And a load of other books that have come out. It's just like the status quo is literally the same when it ends. So what was the point? Right. What's the point? Yeah. There was none. So probably the less said about it, the better. So um, let's talk about a few other books. Kind of go through our, our little speed round here to end the episode. Um, we had Astonishing X-Men number 16. Um. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that because I kind of enjoyed this, I probably have a different opinion of it than you guys. I had fun with it, but I know you guys are not really enjoying it. Um, any comments in particular? on? Is this, is this the one where he actually... Wait, okay. No, I don't care. <laughs> I do have a... Oh, I'm sorry, Georgie, any, any thoughts for you? Um, I mean, if when Greg Land can can work right, like the artwork can be fine. But it, I mean, writing wise, I have nothing new to add to to this. It's it's not an enjoyable read for me. Okay. Now I did have a question. I don't know if you guys know the answer, is the to be concluded? Is that the end of the story or the end of the series? Good God, I have this big part of its misery. I'm pretty <laughs> sure. It's both. Okay, I was wondering. It's. I haven't heard an official cancellation, or uh, I don't know. Do you really can you really call all these books cancellations now if they knew they were not going to last past Uncanny? I don't know, but um, yeah, I had a feeling it, it would be wrapping up pretty soon. Um, all right, so uh, I would give it a a thumbs sideway, cocked upward. Sounds like you guys are both thumbs down. All of my thumbs are down. <laughs> Fair enough. I really wish I could just separate the arc from story here because I don't feel like Land is doing terrible work. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, Rosenberg has not endeared himself to me through basically anything after uh, the Phoenix, Phoenix Resurrection yeah. uh, storyline. So this is just more like a bad storytelling from him. Uh, it, you know, that's my opinion. All right. Oh, we also had Mr. and Mrs. X number four, which I loved. Um, my really only negative thing has been the same with every issue. I wish the female faces were not so childlike. But other than that, I thought this was a fantastic issue. Uh, continue. Kelly Thompson just continues to nail the rogue gambit relationship and abuse it with fun and action and sweetness and actual like real romance it seems like um and yeah i just really really love this issue what about you guys i feel like there's a temptation for most writers to like throw major drama into a relationship that's just started to like oh no they just started dating but now there's a fight and they might break up like that never that trope is never used she's never falls back onto that which i, I really appreciate um and this is it's a fun series. It's colorful and bright and energetic, and some great little action scenes. I, I agree that the female, uh, like baby faces, can be a little off-putting, but um, I really am enjoying this. Uh, you know, Thompson is the only hope 
I have for Uncanny <laughs> being good. So uh, yeah, this is where we are. All right. Uh, I thumbs up it, so it's okay. Yeah, right. So thumbs up for me as well. Georgie, is that a, a thumbs up or a thumbs yeah, up? Thumbs up, sorry. Thumbs right. up, thumbs up. No, no problem. All right. So Domino 7 also came out. We get a new story arc. Uh, I was glad to see Baldion back on the art. Um, you guys still enjoying this book? Yeah, it's like the unsung hero, isn't it, really? Um, of the X Universe. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I, I give it a thumbs up. I quite enjoyed this last issue. Yeah, me too. Thumbs up for me. Yeah, super fun. Uh, wonderful artwork. Uh, I, I never, I've never been a Domino fan. So I, and I was not really a Gail Simone fan before this, but uh, for whatever reason, this book is really hitting me uh, right where it should. Thumbs up. Yeah, it's just working, right? Yep. All right. Um, also have Iceman number two. Um, this, I don't, I, uh, I feel bad because I really wanted to like this book, and I'm just, just, this volume is not doing it as much for me. The first issue is all because of the art, but even the story in this one seemed to fall, it seemed to lack some of the depth that Grace put into the first volume and just seemed a little more, I don't want to say going through the motions, I hate when people say that because I know he probably wrote exactly what he wanted to write. It just didn't hit me on the same level that his previous writing did. There, I mean, there was an interesting part, obviously, um, kind of condemning the uh, the idea of uh, when the brother was sent to what, uh, was, uh, correctional therapy for a sexual orientation. I, I'm assuming that's probably a very personal note for Grace and his story and just how horrible it is that people would even consider doing something like that. And the fact that it actually happens is even worse. Um, so there's that kind of the part that kind of gut punches you. Um, but other than that, I don't know. I just, I didn't really connect to Emma and her brother. And I don't really know that Emma's voice felt right to me. So this book fell a little flat. What do you guys think of this one? I feel like these are um, hyper condensed ideas of what he was going to write in the original series. Uh-huh. Right. And they're being like dripped in real quick. And then we've got the overarching sinister thing going on, Mr. Sinister plot. So I feel like that might have been like a couple of issues or two issue story with Emma in the previous volume, but now it's into one. And it feels sometimes rushed, but not enough. And it's, like you said, there's no depth, but then they try and tackle issues. And it just, it sort of sits on the fence and the art isn't, isn't there, like present in the, in the emotional moments and it doesn't really do much when it tries to do dynamic action either. So I think I'm like a middle, it's not bad. It's just middle of the road. Yeah. I really, really love the the first run that Grace had on Iceman. Yeah. And, and this has been so disappointing. <laughs> I feel like, you know, first off artwork is, I don't know why they went with this. I, I I have ideas on why he was given this artist. I don't know if he had a choice, but I feel like he didn't in artwork. And I also feel like he didn't have a choice in what he was able to tell. This, this feels like editorial saying, you know, his, his first volume was sort of like a, a deeper look into what it's really like to be Bobby. And this feels more like, well, 
don't like treat him like a real character or a person. Like you can hit these like obvious points, but don't go too deep. This is a superhero book, so just tell these small beats. Uh, don't treat him like a real person. Just treat him like uh, feels like make it standard superhero fair. Here's the artist. We'll let you tell the book because there was an outpouring of, of fans who wanted more body, but we don't really want you to like make this an actual book. Just like get this out and done with. That, yeah, that's the I, feeling I have. I, I completely agree. I think it feels very, very insincere yeah. on Marvel's part. I feel like they gave the book back because there was such a fan outcry and support through the graphic novels trades. Um, and they're like, oh, crap, maybe we shouldn't have canceled this. People seem to be really connected to it. So we're going to bring it back. But, oh, by the way, only five issues. Yeah, and I feel like they told them these are things you can't talk about. You can still touch on being gay a little bit, but just like the obvious stuff. Don't yeah, make yeah. it seem like like there's more to back. you than that. You can have it back after our editor-in-chief said we don't really like political stuff in our stories anymore. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That that's the thing, and it's really sad because it meant some. This book meant something, and I feel like it's Marvel having a conscious decision to make it not mean anything anymore. Exactly. And let's not get into Shatterstar. So. Um, oh yeah, I forgot that that came out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we could talk about that, and that's that. I mean, we had an interaction with the editor online that was really disappointing. So, oh no! Uh, what happened? about Shatterstar. Someone was talking to him about how important it was <clears throat> to have representation and how disappointed that he had broken up with Richter. And White, almost verbatim, said the only reason that Shatterstar got a book was because he dumped his boyfriend. So it was almost as if Marvel said, yeah, you can be gay, but just don't don't really be gay in an issue. Don't really have a gay character. Like, you can no. have your book as long as you're not dating a guy. So it was... It feels very editorial in that. Uh, it pissed me off because yeah, because, because essentially he turned around and was like, if his words were essentially, if he's in a couple, he's wallpaper, and if he's not in a couple, he's a viable main star. Yet we have Rogan Gambit in a in a in a couple in a married couples book. So you know what I mean. So it's like one rule for one type of person. Another rule for the others. Yeah. Well, and I hate to bring this up too, but I think Kelly Thompson did a very good job of kind of sidestepping it and not blaming anybody or anything. But uh, someone had tweeted at her about, um, you know, we're only a few issues into to West Coast Avengers, but, you know, a couple of pretty prominent uh, gay characters in the book. And someone had asked, so how come, you know, we have this blossoming romance and, and, uh, uh, What's her name? Gwimpool, is that the character's name? Yeah. Uh, you know, kisses Quentin like right away, but we haven't seen any of our gay characters kiss. And I don't remember, she kind of gave a non-answer, I think, trying not to stir the pot. But um, I just thought it was, it was an interesting question, and it kind of seems, when you couple that up with some of the stuff you're talking about, that... Have we regressed into a you can say it but not show it thing, which is very unfortunate if that's been a conscious decision. We'll be in the we'll be in the gym shooter years of well, there's North Star. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It does feel that way. I I believe Thompson's response 
Well, there are a couple of things. One was, why is Kate not dating uh, America Chavez? And she's like, well, Kate's not gay and she has a boyfriend. So there's a – I mean, uh, there's a big That's shipping not, thing between Kate no, it's and – it's not just the shipping. It's very – okay, no, it's okay. It's fine. It's fine. I understand. I understand. I'll allow that one. Right. <laughs> there, I mean, there are hints of them flirting in the Young Avengers, but it's not, like, overt um, – and she already had set up like a, a romantic relationship uh, in her singles, her, her solo story. So it, it'd be odd, to, like suddenly just th- they're dating. So that's one thing. Uh, but the other thing Thompson said was that there will be more coming with America Chavez. Yes, after, and you're right. After, she did say that. So. Yeah. So hopefully we'll see some in there. But it does feel like editorial has has put the uh, the kibosh and anything that's not very. Uh, you know, as you well, said, you can tell, but don't show. Because Kid Omega, um, for quite some time, was kind of like a young, like a gay icon for a lot of KX fans. <laughs> and now he's not. <laughs> but he could be bi. They could all just be bi. Yeah. It's fine. He might be. Like, I could see him going either way. Yeah, yeah. Quentin makes sense to me, actually, to kind of do whatever. Um, <clears throat> kind of, Beast always made sense for me as well. Just kind of do whatever <laughs> kind of change with the situation. But, um, yeah, I don't know. That's, that makes me sad. Um, <laughs> consequently, Shatterstar isn't that bad. It's just not that good either. I, I read it and promptly forgot what happened. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, the next issue is out next week, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, there you go. See if it picks up. Um. Yeah. Oh gosh. Uh, yeah. I don't want to go too far down trying to figure out if Marvel is just going to disappoint me in a bunch of decisions. So I'll just enjoy the books I enjoy and keep going. I guess. <laughs> sure. So do we actually? I guess we all gave thumbs down to Iceman then, or did we? Ah, thumbs thumb sideways. Thumbs thumb sideways side for me. I yeah. I don't fully really feel like it deserves a down. Grace has Iceman's voice still, but every uh, outside of that, it, it really I did not enjoy the book. So I'm, if I'm not fully thumbs down, I'm I'm like nine, forty five degrees downward. <laughs> it's okay I, to be thumbs down. Right. Remember, yeah. extermination still exists. So right. put it into that context. Yeah, yeah. it's sad though that this book is is kind of on the verge of losing me, which I would have never ever said during volume one. And that, that, to be fair, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Jason. It's kind of like it feels like it's been hacked to pieces. It, its soul has been taken from it, and now we're just like going through. I, like you said, you don't like saying go through the motions, but I feel like we're just getting to the end. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. All right, well, let's, let's talk about something happier. Um, let's plug Excaliburs. Yay. So we just, uh, as as you mentioned earlier, we just recorded a, uh, a new episode that was uh, released about an hour ago. Uh, so that's out. That's that's uh, episode number eleven. We talk about. Uh, I'm sorry. Features a lot of nudity. Yeah, there's lots of nudity in. Oh, podcast nudity. All right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, but you don't get. We we don't have a visual podcast yet, so you don't get to see Dan and I in the buff. Right. But, right. Uh, yeah, just definitely... for the record, for our listeners, we're all podcasting in the nude right now. Oh, yeah, duh. <laughs> That's how my equipment works. <laughs> if I don't do it, I can't record. 
I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> you don't want to see where all these wires go. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, we just we just released a new episode where we cover uh, one of uh, all the three series uh, that we normally cover. We had the sort of quote-unquote original um, Exiles art team back on the book uh, for the new series. So that, uh, you know, if you've listened to any of our other episodes, you'll know that we really enjoy the artwork uh, for this new issue. Uh, but we are sort of disappointed that Alan Davis is is off for a couple of issues of Excalibur. So, um, you know, take that for what you will. But it's, it's a fun uh, episode we recorded. It's not super long. We're just like uh, an hour Hours worth, uh, so a little bit shorter for us, but uh, a fun little podcast. So we hope you'll all uh, come out and uh, listen to us. You can yeah. find us at uh, excalibros.podbean.com or uh, what's our Twitter handle, Dan? Uh, Excalibros1. So come come follow along. If you have Marvel Unlimited, you can basically read along with us. Um, and I think uh, the the Exiles issue, uh, the old Exiles issue that we cover is a lot of it, it's very interesting as well in terms of nudity and sort of. Oh, uh, this is the one with a really creepy cover, isn't it? Yeah, I need yeah I need to read this so I can listen to the episode. Yeah, and <laughs> to put it in context, uh, by the time this comes out, the episode should be three or four days old, probably. But definitely go <laughs> check it out um, because Scalbros is a great podcast. I feel like I uh, maybe took the mic over a little bit too much of this, this, this issue, this episode. So, uh, I don't know, Dan, Jason, is there anything else you want to say that I didn't uh, sort of walk all over? No, nah, you're fine, Georgie. You're the, you're the cream of the crop on this show anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it. I'm the best. That's right. At least this time. Next time. I'll alternate <laughs> between you two guys. <laughs> but... Yeah, uh, Dan, anything you wanted to add about Excalibros? Um, Just please listen to it. And if you enjoy it, um, tweet at us. <coughs> sorry, I'm coughing up crap. Tweet at us um, uh, with suggestions of other things. Because we're trying to think of what we're thinking of doing something special for Christmas. So, oh. and maybe if you, if you know anyone you'd like to like us to try and talk to who creates some of these books. Maybe we can like put our feelers out and see if we can get more guests on. <clears throat> Jason, for example. <laughs> um, so there, yeah. there's a whole Mojo story coming up, Jason. If That's you feel true. like jumping on for that, I should I should probably make me uh, for all the bad books I've made y'all read. <laughs> it's probably probably just rewards or just desserts, whatever the phrase is. It's the only, it's the only, it's the only yeah, reward you'll get. <laughs> this Christmas time I think y'all should push and push and push to get Alan Davis to come on the show that's that's what that's a really good idea I mean, so speaking of Alan Davis and, yeah. and maybe get Judd Winnick for oh uh, yeah it's, it's Exiles try and get everyone on at some point apart from Claremont I don't think I can afford his team <laughs> probably um, not yeah you know if you strike you now, Saladin Ahmed may still be doable for a podcast. Now, if you wait too much longer, he may be a little out of reach. But um, I I follow him uh, on Twitter, and he is writing for some TV series at the moment. Oh, and okay. He's, he's out in LA doing writing, so maybe I can stalk oh, him. 
You can be here for coffee. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Say, have I got a pitch for you? <laughs> pitch is you're on my podcast. <laughs> End of pitch. We can finally get that LA Boy Toy Netflix series I want. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't let Marvel do it. I don't want to get canceled. <laughs> but um, all right, cool. Well, uh, as usual for the podcast, it goes snicked. Uh, you can like the Facebook page. Twitter is at snickcast. Um, oh, speaking of Twitter, kind of bummed. I, so I, I, I'm trying really hard to find my old. Uh, 60s Marvel scorecard thread, and I cannot find it to save my life. So, if anyone knows like a secret to finding old tweets, uh, let me know. <laughs> but that's kind of neither here nor there. But, uh, Dan, Georgie, thank you guys both so much for coming back on the show, and we will uh, Always. again soon. Love being here. Yeah, Thanks. so much fun. And I apologize for making y'all double dip today. That's no problem. Just, just so the listeners it. know how devoted these guys are to helping me out, I, I hit them up back to back because the you know they won't come out at the same time. They just did their Scalbros episode, and then I weaseled them on here. So I, I do really appreciate their uh, their dedication to to talking with me through some of these books and and making my show a little bit better. So thank you guys. No worries. Sometimes we just have to get. The, the extermination off our chest <laughs> right <laughs> this is like therapy for us jason we love it <laughs> there you go <laughs> we get to be the contrarian x-men podcast <laughs> technically we are for some unknown reason yeah nice. this, it turned weird but there you go <laughs> all right well go listen to us Bros. uh keep coming back here for wolverine slash x-men podcasting Hopefully, goodness, and um, until next time, hugs and snicks, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. And snacked. <laughs>